0: Hello and welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne journalists Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello. Coming up on today's show, what do we do with a man like Pete Evans? How the world reacted to Instagram and Facebook being down and the US college admissions scandal that has infiltrated Hollywood. But first, Michelle, how was your week?
1: My week was good. To any listeners who are worried this segment of the podcast or this part of the podcast is going anywhere, please don't be concerned. I keep ragging on it. Yeah, I know. I think you keep ragging on it, but the listeners love it as per a Facebook post in our Facebook group this week. Mm. I think a few hundred of you are begging for the segment to go nowhere. So don't worry. We will make Zara feel uncomfortable week after week.
0: It's not uncomfortable. There's just nothing going on in my life.
1: Yeah. My week was good. No dislocated jaws, no lost voices, all good on the health front. I am re-watching all of the Harry Potter movies and by re-watching that's probably not very accurate. Some of them or most of them I'm watching for the very first time because I missed the Harry Potter bandwagon when I was a kid and so Mitch and I, Mitch has seen them all, we're now retracing where I should have begun years ago. Um,
0: I also missed the Harry Potter thing. Did Do you? This is going to rile a lot of people up. Yeah, I just, my brother and sister was super into it and they bonded a lot over it and it sort of just went completely over my head. I read a couple of the I watched the movies. Truthfully, when I was younger, I felt like they went too long.
1: Truthfully, when I was younger, I felt like they were too scary. I think I watched the one with the Dementors, which might be the third movie from memory. And I was like, yep, tap out. That's me done. I, don't, I
0: also don't <laughs> want to be a dick about it. But they also always followed like a similar kind of formula, which was, you know, a bit of a problem, big kind of beat up um, <laughs> physical fight at the end. And then Harry always comes out
1: on top. Physical fight. Do you mean like between Harry and Voldemort? When I say physical fight, I always meant like uh, wand fighting. <laughs> I was watching it with Mitch last night and I did turn to him and said, you know what? I do feel like when Zara's feeling sassy, she's got a bit of Professor Snape about her. I feel like Professor Snape is your vibe. You told me that today and I wasn't even
0: offended. I don't disagree <laughs> with you. There's a lot of Professor Snape in me, which is perhaps why I'm being so sassy about the movies. Unfair, of course, they are, I guess, the world's biggest and most successful franchise. And I can see the beauty in it. it just, I've, I've never been pulled in. They're a bit dorky to watch at 20. I'm
1: just checking as well. You didn't just say Professor Snake. Did you? Snape. I know it's Snape. They're All right, just checking. Anyway. Your week. Tell me about um, your week. My
0: week was good. I, so Michelle, because Michelle and I have been working so closely together, whatever I can do to annoy her, I try to keep doing. Oh my God, no. (sighs) And this week, she hates when people call her queen. And I also hate it. Because that happens to me all the time. I hate, I hate the concept of like people calling each other queen. And because I know Michelle hates it so much, I can't stop calling her queen. But it's accidentally infiltrated my speech with everyone I know when I was dad and I were having dinner last night and he ordered the dinner and I said thanks queen and it just <laughs> slipped out stuff like it's when you start saying a word ironically and it starts infiltrating your speech at all times it gets quite
1: scary yeah you're the only person I think who has ever called me queen it's just that when I do anything remotely okay by your standards <laughs> you'll turn to me and go yes queen and it makes me want to die inside The
0: Yass kills me too because I don't like the Yass and the queen well, why together. do you do it because I also like the subtle thanks queen Anyway, for those of you who actually see Michelle in the flesh, if you ever see her, just call her a queen.
1: <sighs> Do it to Zara. I think Zara is the most uncomfortable. So the two of us at the live show in a couple of weeks, just come up and just, yeah, bombard her. With hugs. I'm not a huggy person. (laughs)
0: Um, The recommendation that I'll pull this week is buy a new fake tan mitt. I had not done this for so
1: long. (laughs) Our recommendations are getting very
0: wild and unusual. And not that interesting. No. I have been, because my news resolution this year was to not tan, because at the end of last year, we did a segment on melanoma and I realized I probably, Spend too much time in the sun, so I haven't been in the sun really. Bravo, Zara. Since the start of the year, this has turned into a massive humble brag. Yay, skin cells. And not being I in distress. I have been fake tanning every weekend, which is a task, I have to say but I just didn't pick up a new fake tan because I couldn't be bothered. You and it's one thing. of those things that once you invest in a new one, you're like, why didn't I do this earlier? I was just so lazy.
1: Yeah, it's a hard life. I don't know how you fit it in, fake uh, tanning <laughs> every weekend. Truthfully, I don't <laughs> either. It's a crazy world, this freelance one. Truthfully as well, I think how I try. How come we keep saying truthfully? Truthfully, I think I try and make my fake tan last as many weekends as possible, but it's pretty dire at the moment. I've got a long sleeve top on for a reason. Yeah, well, exactly. That's the issue. Um, should we get off fake tan and actually get into the show? Yes, please, 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 please. All right, we're talking about Pete Evans for the first segment today because we've never spoken about Pete Evans, but he's one of those people who is just so moronic sometimes with the things that he says that he constantly ends up in the news cycle, but it's never really been significant enough for you and I to turn to each other and be like, let's cover this until this week. Correct.
0: And it also feels a bit tiresome. And I think that's why initially when you said, should we talk about this? I I did have to sit on it and I did have to think about it because it feels like I've heard this story a million times. However, this week, you're right. It does become a little more murky and a little more
1: dangerous because Pete Evans has decided to start talking about vaccines. He has. So there was a Facebook post, I think it was on Tuesday night to his 1.5 million followers where he pointed them to a podcast interview with an anti-vaccination campaigner her name is Sherry Tenpenny. She is an osteopath, not a doctor, and she was interviewed in a podcast titled Vaccines, Life, Disability or Death. Pete Evans labeled said podcast as one of the most important podcasts to listen to.
0: He also said that and I think the most important thing in this sentence is the second sentence, which says, "Thanks Paul Check for asking the questions that need to be asked about vaccines and medicine." For context as well, Paul Cech uh, dubs himself a holistic health practitioner, an exercise coach and a registered Native American spirit guide and medicine man. He also claims that our health is being stolen due to vaccinations. He endorses the Vaxed documentary that says immunisation causes autism, which is a link that has been disproved in over 100 large studies.
1: Yeah. I don't so, know how many more studies we need to prove that this is not a thing, but according to Pete Evans, science isn't enough.
0: The, the thing about Evans, right, and the more I've thought about it in the last couple of days as we've been talking about this, is I do feel like we've kind of forgotten what his roots are in, and yeah. that is food, because the more he comes out and talks about health and wellness and medicine, I do think we forget that he is a chef, um, and I know that that sounds a bit silly, but I almost forgot that. That I did have to go back and, and dig and say, well, what is he actually trained who in? Who is he? Like, why is he so obsessed with talking about health and wellness and medicine all the time? It's not like he's a nutritionist either. He is a chef.
1: No. And for anyone who is listening to Shameless Internationally, first of all, thank you for making us so exotic. We really appreciate it. If you don't know who Pete Evans is, he is 46. He's from Sydney. He is basically a boss of a restaurant chain called Hugo. And that's how he cemented his role in the public eye in the early 2000s. He's also the host of My Kitchen Rules or one of the main chefs on My Kitchen Rules, which is a major reality TV show here in Australia that's essentially a cooking competition. The show was more popular four or five years ago than what Mm. it is today at its absolute peak. My Kitchen Rules was getting 2 million viewers per night. He is predominantly, it's weird, he used to be a pizza chef. That's how he kind of made his living and now he's this guy who doesn't eat anything that's non-paleo, who thinks that babies should drink bone broth according to a 2015 baby's cookbook that he released.
0: This is what gets me is that I do and have consistently forgotten that he is a chef because we kind of allow people like Pete Evans the right to say and do whatever they like. Mm. I mean, he has... Being given book deals that are centered on food, where he takes it a step further and says claims around medicine and around health that are baseless. Do you feel angry though, Michelle, when this kind of stuff comes up? Like, What do you feel around these stories?
1: I think I am starting to feel apathetic, Mm. but uh, above all, I think it's really important, although these news stories are regurgitated and recycled again and again and again, it feels like Groundhog Day sometimes with Pete Evans. It's also important that not everyone has the level of education or resources, access to resources that you and I or the listeners to this podcast might have. So some people who are vulnerable or are angry or are in a certain situation where they might look to Pete Evans can be very easily influenced to believe what he is sprouting and what he is spruiking. And I think the thing that makes me angry about Pete Evans is how much he has let riches and fame go to his head and how much he has let his celebrity status become muddied with this arrogance that he's allowed to suddenly give out health information and medical information when he knows sweet fuck all about any of those things. Oh Wait, tell us what you really think. No, well, he doesn't. He doesn't. No, He I has agree. an online health coaching certificate and I don't think that Counts. You can't go out and give medical advice with just that behind you, something that you got online that is not formally recognised by the Australian Medical Association.
0: I have to agree with you. I mean, you are obviously preaching to the choir here. I have to say I also agree with you when you said you were initially kind of apathetic about a Pete Evans headline that came out this week regarding these kinds of things because I was too. I mean, I would click through and I read it and I can understand the danger and kind of roll my eyes. But I think when a news story is so visible and so prolific – Um, and consistent, it's hard to always find the energy to care every single time he does something dangerous. That said, the more I realised... Um, how many Facebook followers he has. And I know that Facebook pages are kind of a dying art because the algorithm is not letting them onto the Facebook feed. All right. he does them. still have 1.5 million people following him on Facebook. Mm. So whether or not that post goes into 1.5 million feeds is kind of irrelevant to me. That's still 1.5 people that
1: want to follow him on Facebook and are going to listen to the things he says and the opinions he has. And you know what's really important in this discussion? It's very easy for someone who is very pro-vaccination And has informed themselves or looks to the experts to inform themselves. It is very easy to look at that 1.5 million number and think well they're all idiots we can't help them they're all idiots but the fact of the matter is those people regardless of what you think of them are making decisions for babies and children where those babies and children can't make decisions for themselves and are potentially putting babies and children and other people's children at risk that's why we need to hold pete evans to account yeah okay maybe some of the people who follow him are diehard supporters who will never be changed but we need to try because there are going to be vulnerable humans who can't make decisions for themselves who end up being the victim of poor medical advice like this.
0: I wonder in this scenario what kind of responsibility Channel 7 have. They did support Pete Evans in 2015 when he did co-author that cookbook titled Bubba Yum Yum. I can't (laughs) believe that just came out of my mouth. The Paleo Way for New Mums, Babies and Toddlers. God, that's a long book title. Anyway, and the, the controversy around that book was what you touched on before was when he encouraged babies to consume bone broth and health experts did come out and call this advice extremely deadly for babies. At the time, Channel 7 stood by him and supported him. So they didn't even make uh, take any measures to separate themselves from him or denounce his claims. They actively supported him in that scenario. In this scenario, as MKR is still on screens, I do wonder what responsibility they have. I think with him signed under their contract that they probably do have a responsibility to say we like working with him um, in a TV sense. He's a great TV presenter. He's li- he's likely very good at his job on My Kitchen Rules, but we don't agree with his big claims like this. And you
1: know the funny thing is the coincidental timing here that the Bubba Yum Yum – God, I hate that name – Bubba Yum Yum book came out in 2015 at the peak of My Kitchen yeah. Rules' success, and ever since then, ratings have been steadily declining. And I wonder if Pete Evans' declining popularity – and our declining faith and trust in the information that he spreads is linked to the demise of My Kitchen Rules and that as a brand entirely because he's half of the brand it's Pete and Manu that's what everyone knows My Kitchen Rules to be. No totally I think it might
0: be a little bit too simplistic to look at it like that I, I'm not going to say it's not a factor I do think that reality tv shows sort of run their course and it's been going on for how many years? Too many years, yeah, 10 it's, years. <laughs> it's a tired format now no matter how many times they try to sort of pump it with new blood mm. but potentially in the other way you could look at it, though, is controversy is good for reality TV. Good or bad press is sometimes good. I think there is waning trust, though, in Pete Evans. And to be honest, right now, I don't
1: even know if I trust what he would say about food because I'm so tired of it all. Absolutely. I do want to wrap this first segment up with some really important stats about how beneficial vaccinations are for our society, because we don't talk about this enough. According to the World Health Organization, approximately 6.6 million children still die each year. And about half of those deaths, are caused by infections, which could be prevented by vaccinations. That's over 3 million child deaths that could be prevented if those children were vaccinated correctly. And according to our Australian government's Department of Health, since the introduction of vaccination for children in Australia 90 years ago now, deaths from vaccine-preventable diseases have fallen by 99%, despite a threefold increase in our population over that same period.
0: Someone just cut that snippet and send it to the NRL WAGs.
1: (laughs) Thank you, Next Bitch. And now it's time for the quick and dirty. Every week we give you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity news cycle. Zara McDonald, you're kicking it away, and this week I didn't infiltrate your quick kicking and dirty. Kicking it away
0: or kicking it off? Kick-
1: oh, geez, kicking it off. Damn. Sorry. Hey, do you
0: remember that time you wanted to post some um, rules on our Facebook group and you said just some house cleaning <laughs> instead of housekeeping? Can we stop this now? Anywho, my first story: new cast of
1: Bachelor in Paradise revealed. That is from. The Sydney Morning Herald, straight to the point. I will put my hand up and say that I am bloody excited to see Alex Nation and Richie Strawn back together.
0: They've done a brilliant job with this one. I don't think any of us are going to lie. We lost faith in The Bachelor and The Bachelorette franchises this last year, I should say. But they're teasing this one out brilliantly. First, with Alex and Richie arguing and apparently having their first conversation since their breakup. Secondly, with a kiss between Brooke and Alex Nation, which doesn't look like queer baiting. I would say. No, I don't think so. I think uh, all clear. All clear. (laughs) They haven't done well with that in the past. Anyone else you're kind of excited to see in this cast?
1: No, I'm all about Alex and Richie. That's literally the only thing I care about right now. I think there is nothing juicier then getting two exes back in the one room to spill out exactly what went wrong in their relationship for the entire country to uh do you think they in. will
0: be honest yes the other thing sorry that i also am very excited about is <laughs> we've got an hour it's okay have Tell you us. seen that promo of brooke talking about why she actually left
1: yes the honey- <laughs> yes and she said that she um she is kind of like exposing the honey badger and he's not going oh, i can't believe we're suckers as for if this. the honey badger hasn't been exposed enough already i imagine that story will
0: be mildly anticlimactic but i I think there might be in a nugget a nugget in it that we might find interesting
1: do you reckon he says like Brooke I'm not really here for love like I think maybe if you go off the show we'll hook up afterwards
0: or maybe something. he says I'm not sure if I'm into anyone I mm. wouldn't be surprised if that was it I, like I don't know if anyone here is my wife
1: yeah, but that's kind of boring. I hope it's not that. I think it will be boring for sure. I hope it's something super salacious. It's not going to be.
0: <laughs> Number two. Uh, this is a hard one. Amber Scissorhands. Johnny Depp claims X sliced his finger with a vodka bottle. That is from Radar Online and we also should have a disclaimer in there. That was from a week or two ago, but we did
1: feel the need to put this story in this week. Yeah, we did because there was a vibe, that's what I'll call it, in the Facebook group earlier this week that potentially there was some conspiracy going on or some type of censorship that Zara and I weren't letting posts through that accused Amber Heard of domestic violence. And that's not the case at all. Just no one had posted anything about Amber Heard being accused of domestic violence. And I'll be honest, the story went over my head. I didn't really see it until someone tried to put it in the group, which we then approved, saying, why is no one talking about this? So let's have the discussion right now.
0: I think this story,
1: this story I find
0: incredibly peculiar. So Johnny Depp is suing Amber Heard for about 50 million US dollars after she wrote an op-ed talking about her experience in a domestically violent relationship. Now in that op-ed she didn't actually name Johnny Depp, but he in his lawsuit claimed that it was pretty obvious everybody knew it was him and he has lost work because of it. That's a pretty well-known news story and every major news outlet is covering that news story. Radar Online, which we should say on a list of tabloid on uh, US sites to trust is not there. Not super high, no. Not super high at all. Um, Claims that they have access to the lawsuit and they are reading into it and saying that Johnny Depp is now accusing Amber Heard of domestic violence. The reason that this story is not around is because, to be blunt, Radar Online seems to be the only ones with their hands on this alleged fact and nobody else is picking it up.
1: Yeah. And I think it's also super important that allegations, of course, need to be treated like allegations, not facts. And when some people want to post in our group saying that something is for certain simply because Johnny Depp has claimed it, that's not the case and we're not going to stand by that, I also think it's really important that Johnny Depp came out and said that the reason Amber Heard is apparently a domestic abuser is because she has a history of it. And he gave an example of a scuffle between Amber Heard and her previous partner, who was a woman in late 2009. And he said that because Amber Heard spoke to police at the time about that situation, she has a history with being a domestic abuser. Not necessarily the case because Amber Heard's ex-girlfriend has since come out and said, I have the utmost respect for Amber. She's a beautiful person. We are still close to this day and has denied that they had a domestically violent relationship. So I just think the reason we have not discussed this at length is because there's simply not enough information out there that we can run with.
0: Nor news outlets that we trust.
1: No. and um, So we, we don't know what to say. Like, yeah. we honestly don't know what to do with this. It is
0: a, a completely muddied story. And I think more will come out the more or the longer this lawsuit goes on. Um, And that will be interesting to see if he can actually reap any damages from that civil suit uh I it'll say a lot I, in in the US whether he can he can actually get any money from this about what we do with allegations of domestic abuse that aren't proven in court mm. um, that have come out through that the me too movement um it's it's a hard one and one that we aren't very good at talking about simply because
1: there the facts aren't there to back it up and it's also a messy one that often maybe there are different levels and different spheres of abuse that exist within the one relationship so we will see we'll keep an eye on it but for now no we can't really discuss much about it because there's not much to discuss exactly number three You lied. This is your story. This is my story. This
0: sad dad wasn't selling any donuts. Then his son's viral post came to the rescue. That
1: is from time. So there was a man called Billy who launched a donut shop in the US and his son tweeted in his first week of trade. He said, my dad is sad because nobody is coming to his new donut shop. That tweet, which had photos of his dad looking very sad Mm. behind the counter, no donuts being sold, no one in the car park out the front, proceeded to get 340,000 retweets at the time of us recording this podcast. They now have 140,000 Instagram followers and they have sold out of their donuts every single day this week.
0: Go, Billy Queen. I know. Oh, my God! (laughs) Shut
1: up. No, how cute is that? That's a great story. Isn't that such a good illustration of the power of the internet for good?
0: Yeah, and we don't hear enough stories like that. I wonder, do you often think in these kinds of scenarios how many people would try to replicate this in
1: a kind of publicity stunt way? (laughs) Yeah. Unfortunately, I think you can only be organic with these kinds of things. I'm sure lots of people have posted about their sad first week of opening a donut shop, but... Billy's dad, one no, out.
0: Obviously, Billy's Donuts are the most special ones. <laughs> Number four, Colton Underwood of The Bachelor ends up chasing a contestant who left of her own volition.
1: That is from the Boston Globe. What an ending to The Bachelor US this year. Did you hear anything about it, Zara? Uh, not hugely, no. No. So basically, Colton was The Bachelor's virgin, I think. You know how he had uh, Married at First Sight Virgin Matthew? Wait, are we talking literal virgin? Yeah, he was a virgin. he's like 29 and a virgin, and on The Bachelor US they said spoke about that about 9,000 times every episode. So that was his selling point. Yeah, he was the virgin who was finally going to have sex.
0: How is a man that looks like this a virgin? I
1: know, I know. You're Googling as we're talking (laughs) about it. But basically he got to the final two and he decided he didn't want to date either of them. Instead, he wanted to run off with the woman who had left the week before of her own volition, like the headline said. She didn't want to be there. She basically said, I'm out. See ya. Why did she leave? Uh, She just said she didn't really think that she could fall in love with him. And so in the finale episode, he jumped a fence like a very high fence and ran to this woman and basically said, I think I can convince you to fall in love with me within the next week. And somehow three months later, they're still together.
0: When you say somehow, you mean in the space between the show filming and the finale airing they're still contractually obliged to be together?
1: No, well, mm, I've watched the videos and I'm a believer. I wasn't a believer in Sophie Monk and Stu Laundie or no. whatever his name was when they kind of did their fake contract relationship. Again, allegedly, if Sophie <laughs> Monk is listening to this. Sophie Monk is not listening to this. <laughs> I'm buying Colton Underwood's story with his new love, whose name I've already forgotten. But very interesting ending to The Bachelor and very interesting approach for someone to say, I'm not going to fall in love with you and you just say, just watch me try.
0: Yeah, and a, a bit them weird. I don't know if that would actually make me fall in love with somebody. If somebody said, "You don't like me, but give me a week," I'd be like, "I' still not that interested." I'm so sorry.
1: Yeah, it wouldn't really work with me either.
0: I'm oh, well, lucky no one's trying. <laughs> Number five, <laughs> Channel Minds Today Show hits shocking new low beaten by an unlikely contender. That is from News.com. The news is that ABC News Breakfast beat Whoa. a commercial breakfast television show Whoa. for the first time since they started. Shit. So I think uh, News Breakfast beat today by about a 1,000 listeners uh, last Wednesday, which is huge, like huge news for um, a time slot that has been dominated by two shows for decades.
1: Yeah, I mean... Breakfast television is kind of irrelevant to me, and I will say I got this wrong. At the beginning of the year, I thought that two female hosts, and I don't think that's the reason it's not working, but I thought the two hosts that they've got, Deborah Knight and Georgie Gardner, Gardner, thank you, I thought that was really going to work and that was going to be a great dynamic, but clearly it's not resonating with viewers, and this must be a great week for Sunrise because they're just soaring higher than ever.
0: But a better week for ABC News Breakfast because their format is clearly working. To me, it says that the, the world, or Australia rather, doesn't necessarily want gimmicks all the time. I think Australians are tiring of gimmicky segments – of um, stuff that makes them feel silly, maybe of blatant advertorials in breakfast morning television. Oh, God, yeah. Um, and I think News Breakfast treats people like they're smart, and mm. that's what we need more of. I mean, it's probably why there's a decline in radio as well, for exactly the same reason.
1: Yeah, well, I would never go to television to get my morning kit of news. Now I just go to The Squiz, which is a great podcast. If you guys aren't across it, this can be my recommendation for the week, That <laughs> it's a seven or eight minute podcast every morning and the team on The Squiz get you across the headline. Lines of the morning and give you an explainer on each and that's how I keep informed yeah. not by going to channel 9 and flicking on today or channel seven and flicking on sunrise i
0: will be so intrigued to see what happens at the end of this year after a full year of this format and whether they want to stick with it to see if it works or whether they cut their losses again and start again
1: yeah my hope is that they don't look at this and think well two women can't host a program together that's successful because that is the danger it's the glass cliff i was going to say it's very much the glass
0: cliff put two women in charge when the show was already in ruins and see what they do i mean it's Mm. kind of an impossible task
1: yeah anyway that is all i've got for you today thank you This week on the eve of the internet's 30th birthday, the world's most popular social media apps, Facebook and Instagram experienced the largest blackout in their history. For 14 hours, billions of people around the world were unable to log into the spaces where they connect and thrive. Zara, what did hashtag Instagram down teach you about your own relationship with social media?
0: It taught me that I'm maybe only invested in social media if everybody else is on it too. So, although there were times when I went to grab my phone and realized there was not much to actually do on it, so I put it down and realized I sort of that is my knee jerk reaction when my mind sort of settles, I wasn't having any FOMO experience because nobody was on there. Like it was kind of like this black hole that nobody was on anyway. So what's the
1: point? I don't think it was FOMO for me. I think it was just a, I felt untethered to the world. I felt like I was kind of floating around and that's dramatic. It's not like it ruined my day or ruined my morning, but it was definitely a bit of an odd and unusual and jarring feeling to feel like I couldn't access the communities and the people that I would typically access through WhatsApp, through Facebook, through Instagram.
0: It was funny to me. There are a couple of things that that I started to realize through the course of the day. The first was how habitual it is and how sort of short my memory is in that I knew it was down and I knew it was down for hours. And yet whenever my mind did settle and it didn't know where to go, I would open my phone and go to the apps and then remember that they were down. The second was how these apps sort of infiltrate our day-to-day life, like the minutiae of everyday life. I made my lunch the other day, right, and I went to pick up my phone. (laughs) I
1: walked in on you at this very moment and you looked at me and you said, I don't know what to do. (laughs) I went to
0: pick up my phone and then I realized I didn't have my phone. So I put it down and I went to sit at my table. And so I opened my laptop and started playing around on my laptop. And I thought, I can't (laughs) even sit here and eat my lunch with my own thoughts.
1: Yeah, you can't really be bored anymore. And when you are left with nothing, it's like, well, what do I do now? My mind's not being occupied by a million flashing buttons and
0: notifications. I don't think our digital dependence has ever been so clear, but I don't think that's a surprise to anyone. Like, I don't think any of this is a surprise. I think we are literally just saying the thing that everybody knows they need to fix about themselves. My favorite part about this story was the irony of both uh, of Facebook having to turn to their biggest competitor, Twitter, <laughs> in order to
1: communicate their own website's major flaws. Yeah, true. I also loved the Twitter in the banner when you log on, their top story of the day was Facebook being down and the theories that it could have been a like data corruption error or a cyber attack. Mm. I think that's quite strategic from the old Twitter there.
0: What did you think about the reports as well where apparently emergency services had to come to news outlets and say, can you tell people to stop calling triple zero about Facebook and Instagram being down? Was that legit? Was that actually? Apparently, I was reading it in major newspapers. Okay,
1: that's really embarrassing. I'm embarrassed to be a human if that's the case, that people are actually calling emergency services to be like, help.
0: It's ridiculous, but also not that ridiculous because if you've ever tried to get in touch with Facebook, you know that it's kind of not (laughs) a thing. Like it's not a thing you're able to do. So the next best bet is emergency services, I guess. Are you defending the people who called emergency services? I'm not sure where I landed on. that. <laughs> do you want to backtrack? Do you want to do a live retraction of that? No, but comment? I am just going to move this right along. The <laughs> overriding thought that I did have over this was not to do with social media dependence. It wasn't even to do with how I handled boredom, but it said to me a lot about power. And that's the thing I couldn't get out of my head that I, I didn't mind so much that I couldn't access the apps, but it really spoke to me that when one company goes down, None of us have any means to communicate. And that is a fuckload of power to put in one building. It feels so Black Mirror-like. Yeah. But we're all pawns. We're little puppets. Yeah, well,
1: legitimately one boardroom of people, probably a group of 10 to 20, I would say, control our lives. And they can decide how you're going to feel that day and they can decide what news you see and decide what conversations you're having and who you're having them with. And to have this blackout of the main portal of my social interaction and communication meant that, I had a weird morning. I I wasn't on my phone as much. I, I felt like my social groups were different. I couldn't access the community that we've built or anyone that I follow or wanted to read from in that morning. I, it was such an unusual feeling to think that this group of people in Silicon Valley, it's almost like they're the puppeteers of our lives, exactly. that they can pull different levers and different strings and billions and billions of people do whatever they want. And we live our lives around this technology that they've built. And that's a very cynical and Dark way to look at things, but it's also true and very realistic. I think this will
0: add fuel to the fire that that the company should be broken up. I know that there are many conversations going on at the moment about uh, the hold that Google and Facebook have over the news cycle and, and news outlets too. I know major like media companies like News Corp have all come out in the last week or two before this blackout and really encouraged moves um, and measures for Google and Facebook to be broken up because of their stranglehold on digital news, I feel like this can only exacerbate that issue because to me, that is terrifying that people have or one company has that much power. Were you not relieved at all in some way, shape or form? Because a lot of the work that we do is on social media, that it kind of lets you breathe away from work in a way that we, a lot of people, I would say the majority of people aren't given the opportunity to do so
1: well not really because our jobs are on social media like you said and so much of what we do is on social media that it kind of made me have a bit of an epiphany that without these platforms I don't really have a career like, oh, I like this I is don't know how for- people find us this it's is how funny. we connect this is how we do what we do without this stupid app on my phone I'm actually completely untethered from my job well that this is what I found interesting right because I
0: I felt initial relief well I we can there's only a, a certain amount of work that we can do and I think there'd be Millions of people across the world who would have been exactly the same. I mean, I disagree in that I thought that we would have an irrelevant job if this wasn't the case because our job is being a podcast and the sorry, podcast app is not going find, anywhere. Who
1: would find You go on the podcast. podcast app. A lot of people find us on the <laughs> podcast app. It's very naive. I think the vast majority of the people listening to this right now would have found us on Facebook and Instagram.
0: I do want to get more negative before we get more positive, though. So I'm really sorry. <laughs> How did you feel about discussions around the hashtag Instagram down movement centered almost exclusively on influencer contempt? And that's the thing that kind of annoyed me a lot about discussions around this. So what I mean is when I was on Twitter looking at tweets about Instagram being down. The majority of the tweets were taking the piss out of Instagram influencers and models who hashtag can't make money now.
1: Yeah. Well, the one that really annoyed us was from the fat Jewish who basically wrote a tweet saying, what will these poor women do? All these bikini influencers who are going to have to go to soup kitchens and get government handouts and whatever. I think- it's very gendered and sexist to think that the only people that rely on social media and care about social media are women. And it's also so hypocritical for the majority
0: of the pe- people to make those jokes. Yes, a lot of influencer jobs and a lot of model jobs now are tied up in Instagram. But hello, reality check. So is yours. So is ours. Why the hypocrisy? Why are people pretending that Instagram is only beneficial to influencers? Instagram and Facebook are beneficial to a lot of us mm. for free marketing, mainly mm. a lot of business. Businesses rely on Instagram and Facebook. And I just I find it so hypocritical that the scapegoats
1: of this entire thing became Instagram influencers. There's a lot of arrogance, dripping in arrogance on Twitter, that a lot of men came out and said, Oh, poor women, what are women gonna fill their time with if Instagram stories are down? Who's gonna tell everyone that they just got their nails done at the manicurist or whatever? Like, get just get fucked. I'm sorry, but how many men also depend on it on this as much as we do? It just felt like everyone tries to minimize how much social media means to them. And I'm kind of sick of doing that. I do want to push back on this rhetoric that means that we can't admit how much social media means to us and that every usage of social media is suddenly bad. Like there's a real push to doing a digital detox, which if you want to do that, totally do it. And that's something that I pushed myself last year. And it's something that, of course, if you are consuming too much social media and if you're on on your phone to excess, that's a bad thing. But doing anything in excess can be bad. I really feel like we downplay how much humour and banter and connection thrives on social media and how much we can actually build communities on there and how positive it can be. We're all busy moaning about how much this drains us without talking about how much it actually Boosts us and enlivens us. I
0: think it, it's so much more too than selfies and narcissism. There was a huge sentiment on Twitter as well—a tweet saying, "Hello, Instagram, can you hurry up? I need to log back in to check my my follow account." And I understand the inference, and that is that Instagram does encourage narcissism. And we have had a conversation about that, about how Instagram does encourage us to be more self-obsessed. That said. To minimize social media platforms as just exercises in narcissism completely minimizes how the majority of us use the platform. And that is for work across the board or just social interaction. Secondly, the other thing I can't stop thinking is narcissism existed before influencer and like-based culture. And I feel like we have short memories. We're more than happy to sort of lump the blame on Instagram regarding this. But I think Instagram, Facebook and WhatsApp is so much more than... Twitter last week gave it credit for.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I know that last year obviously spoke about tracking my social media usage and having a counter on my phone that tallies up how many hours I'm spending on each app per day. And I remember admonishing myself and saying, oh, I'm spending five hours a day on my phone and I really want to cut down on that. And I feel like there's so much guilt associated with actually wanting to be on your phone and wanting to connect with technology. And I just don't want to do that anymore. I feel like if, as long as I'm happy, as long as there's a balance. I'm not going to be tracking that anymore. I'm going to remove that from my phone after we record this because what's the point? What's the point in tracking how many hours I'm spending on each app? If I feel like I'm content and I feel like I'm balanced in what I'm doing, is it really important if I'm spending five or three hours on a social media app? I don't think it's important whatsoever. No,
0: I don't think so. I think it's good to be self-aware in how you're feeling regarding your use of your phone, but that's kind of the extent of it. I do think there's merit though in having a conversation about how we would live our weekends if Instagram was down for the the entirety of it. Um, I think that's about the extent I'd go to talk about the negativity around the platform. If Instagram was still down or was down for the rest of the weekend, what would we wear? What would we do? Would we Would we act differently? And I think that's a good way to self-reflect in these sort of instances and saying, well, how am I living my life differently because
1: of these apps? And is that a good thing? Mm, I feel like, especially for fast fashion in the environment, so many people would just rewear things that they've worn before. That feeling like you need to always have a new outfit for every event is something that has absolutely been pushed forward by Instagram and photo sharing apps. And I think it's where materialism thrives. So without that on a weekend, I feel like that would be really the main thing that changes. I'd still go out just as much as I do now because I really love seeing my friends, but maybe I wouldn't feel the pressure that I need to be wearing a new top every time I do. I think it's purely an aesthetic thing for sure. Mm. The one thing I do want to finish on is that I don't want us to continually minimize social media because to some people, this means a lot. I know that we were sitting with... A listener, Ilsa, who'd been mentoring over the last few weeks, and she said to us, Well, when Instagram and Facebook were down and WhatsApp was down, I couldn't contact my sister in the UK. And I realized these are the only ways I contact her. And for people who have friends and family who live overseas, that's huge for them. If you can't contact your parents or your boyfriend or your best friends, like not everyone lives in the same state or the same city. And that's a massive privilege that needs to be checked. Social media for so many people means that they are able to reach their loved ones when they wouldn't be able to in any other way.
0: It has surely been one of the most bizarre stories to cross privilege, US colleges and Hollywood royalty. This week, actresses Felicity Huffman and Lori Loughlin were arrested on charges of fraud after being part of a bribing syndicate that ensured their children's entrance into college. Michelle, let's break this story down because there is a lot
1: going on here. There is. I'm going to start with the who of the who, what, where, why. Are you actually doing that? <laughs> no, 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 but I will do the who. Okay. So Laurie Lachlan, if that name is not familiar, she is best known for playing Aunt Becky on Full House and Fuller House. She's an actress. She's also married to the creator of the Mossimo fashion brand. His name is Mossimo Gianelli. Together, they have two daughters, Isabel Rose and Olivia Jade. I'm like drawing a little family tree, if you guys can imagine this in your head. The next branch of our tree is Felicity Huffman. She is best known for her role as Lynette on Desperate Housewives. She is married to actor William Macy, who is a main character in the television series Shameless. (laughs) Hello! (laughs) Together, they also have two daughters, Sophia Grace and Georgia Grace. They, along with 48 other people, are now facing federal change Charges because they are involved in rorting the SAT tests to get into college in the US.
0: So Huffman reportedly slash allegedly spent $15,000 to tweak her daughter's SAT scores. Lachlan spent up to $500,000 <sighs> US dollars to get her daughters into the University of Southern California. Others have reportedly and allegedly spent up to $6.5 million to get their children into university.
1: I think CNN really explained this best when they preface their big explainer on what's happened as the biggest college admissions scam ever prosecuted in the US is a harsh reminder that wealthy families can cheat their way into even greater privilege. And that's what we're talking about today. I think the way money moves in this story and the way that the rich are ripping off the disadvantaged is pretty insane here. The, uh, Of course, the actresses weren't the only ones involved in this story. This included two SAT administrators, an exam proctor, a college administrator, and a CEO who admitted he wanted to help the wealthiest families get their kids into elite schools.
0: Because they're the ones that need the help the most, obviously. Someone help
1: the rich kids.
0: A genuine question before we really get into the thick of this is that there's a lot of outrage around this story, and rightly so. I was pretty, I originally thought this was kind of some sick joke like there's a lot of humor around the the covering of this story because it seems so outrageous but there's also a lot of outrage too as there should be I wonder how we can be so outraged by this scandal when you can buy a good education. Mm. You can buy test prep before the SATs in the US that guarantees good stores for a thousand dollars. Privilege allows a lot of people to buy a lot of things bar actual entry into college. So I wonder why it's this that's ruffled so many feathers. It's, It's laughable almost to me that we finally found our line when privilege plays a role in our lives all the time that apparently this is the point when it becomes unfair
1: well this isn't just a helping hand this is a breaking of the rules which i think is the line i think in this capitalist world people have just begrudgingly accepted that yes privilege will afford you with greater opportunity what they don't want to accept is that privilege will help you snap the rules in half and then walk all over people on your way
0: it's I still think the lines are a little bit more blurry than that. There was a great story in the conversation this week by researcher Rick Eckstein, who looks into how athletes can very easily get into college using very similar tactics, but they're not their parents aren't indicted on fraud. And he said, as a researcher who has studied how young athletes get admitted to college, I don't see a major difference between this admissions fraud case and how many wealthy families can buy their children's way into elite colleges through back and side doors. He went on to quote um, an author called Daniel Golden, who wrote the price of admission who highlights in his book that enough, like there are a million different ways that wealthy families can get their kids into college. These include large donations. Like, What's the difference between a large donation to a college than this? Um, financing new buildings, creating endowments, and playing on parents' celebrity status. These have little to do with a student's academic merit and everything to do with the wealth of the family. I, I understand what you're saying in that, that people see this as a literal snapping of the rules rather than sort of the push of privilege. But I think it's, it's – they, they overlap more than we'd probably like to admit.
1: Yeah. Well, these two actresses who are now involved in this case did on different occasions use other people to sit the exams under their daughter's IDs. So I think it's maybe even the optics of this. Imagine mm. sending someone in your daughter's name, who isn't your daughter, to sit your daughter's SAT test. Imagine doing that with the VCE or what, what's it called? HSC. It feels more conniving then. I guess
0: you're right. The optics do make it seem far more manipulative.
1: It's a moral as well it's it's not just privilege it's lying at least people are being overt with how they get into universities in other ways this way you're just lying and you're just breaking the rules I think what really surprised me about this is that it's not like these actresses are trying to get their daughters into Harvard the main school involved has been the University of Southern California which is hilariously dubbed the University of Spoiled Children. Wonder why now. And that ranks 22nd in the country, and I'm not sniffing at that. I'm not saying 22nd in the country is awful, but it's not particularly prestigious. I mean, that's pretty prestigious in a country as big as America. Yeah, but 22nd, it's not like we're talking about 1, 2, and 3. We're talking a little bit down the ladder.
0: No, I, I see I see your point, too. I mean, there's something about, and I know this is very US-based, and we'll bring it locally in a second, but... Uh, there's something about US college and it's the system that feels very broken and I don't think that we are the first ones to ever point that out I think that's been a I think that's been going on in the US for decades New York Times analysis in 2017 found something very interesting about college in the US and they found that at 38 colleges including Yale, Princeton, Dartmouth and the University of Pennsylvania so these are the biggest and most prestigious colleges in the country there were more students from the top 1% of families by income than the bottom 60%. Wow. So these these places are infiltrated with money and whether people are actually buying their way into the colleges by fraud or through other means of privilege, it's kind of almost all irrelevant to me. And that's not to downplay my outrage. I think it's to actually upplay, which is definitely not a word, <laughs> my um, consideration for how much privilege has to play for other people getting into these colleges?
1: Yeah, I, I see your point. Do you think before we get on to a, a broader discussion of privilege in general, do you think the coverage of this story has been gendered? I mean, even the way I've been talking about it, I've been saying mothers and mothers and actresses, but to me, it's not just the mothers who are guilty alone. And I don't understand why we're only speaking about the women involved in this story and that the women are constantly used. Both women are in high profile relationships. Both women have husbands who are in the public eye. One of them is a well-known fashion designer. The other is an equally well-known actor. Why are we so quick to label the mothers as rich, spoiled brats when the men in these circles are also well-known? Why haven't we seen their names in any headlines? Sure, that the husbands names are mentioned in the stories because they've had to appear in court too but why are they not in the headline or in the main image why is it that we always want to depict women as the conniving ones when it, really this hasn't been a gendered story it's parents doing this not just mothers It's interesting because I think you have a
0: point. For one, William Macy, who was the husband of Felicity Huffman, wasn't arrested, which is, uh, you can read a few explainers on that. It's very confusing to me as to how you can have knowledge of a crime that went on with your wife and not sort of be a co-conspirator. And there are lots of question marks as to why he hasn't been arrested. Exactly. But Laurie Loughlin's husband has also been arrested. I think there's definitely a kind of tiger mom narrative going on around here where they would do everything anything to put their children front and center. It's kind of that image of the overbearing mum. Um that, soccer mum. Yeah, the soccer mum thing. I think that I do think that has a role to play. I also think, though, Laurie Lachlan is far a far more well-known face than her husband, and that helps, too. She's also very pretty, which also helps, too. They are white and they are blonde, and these women are both peak white privilege, which yeah. is the
1: narrative going on on Twitter a lot. Yeah, I wish we just didn't constantly push that the mums are the only ones responsible for what their children do. It just feels very backward to me that the fathers aren't more front and centre with their wives in this story. The other
0: very interesting player in this story, which makes it even more more ridiculous, is the YouTuber Olivia Jade, who is the daughter of Lori Loughlin, who um, allegedly got into the University of Southern California through a very sizable bribe. She has 1.3 million Instagram followers and 1.9 million YouTube subscribers. Sephora, who used to pay for her to post on social media and did collaborate with her on a makeup palette, just confirmed to Vox last week that they were pulling the contract. So she is this super well-known vlogger. Uh, and influencer earning probably huge money of her own and she is caught up in this now too and her career is probably going to have a big dent in it because of it
1: yeah well it really did remind me going through Olivia Jade's profiles reminded me of how much wealth is in the influencer industry before influencers even become famous if you think about aspiration culture and what makes someone interesting to follow on Instagram. So often that boils down to money. Lots of people are probably just as pretty, just as funny, just as whatever, but don't have a following on Instagram because they don't have the aspirational aesthetic lifestyle that means they get pretty photos, they get likes and comments and follows. And I think That's really interesting. That's a really curious aspect of this to me, that some of the most followed women around the world are the most followed because they came from privileged families that allowed them to live a lifestyle that we all look at and feel jealous of. That's one of the things that
0: came to me very initially when this story broke, and it almost felt like a bit of an epiphany for me, for sure, and it sounds silly that it came to me as as a kind of epiphany because, of course, the more you think about it, this was never an even playing field. I think we like to say that social media democratises how we go about – Um, You know, following people or socializing or even spending our money. But it's not the case at all. It was never an even playing field because the world is not an even playing field. And we're saying that as two white people who have have clearly benefited from that system too. There was a headline on the cut that was equal parts funny and sort of a little bit staggering, which was imagine committing fraud for a kid and then she just starts vlogging. (laughs) Um, And I think it is funny, but telling because This was never about the child. Olivia Jade in other interviews and even on her own vlog has said that she doesn't give a shit about academics and she never even really wanted to go to college that badly. So this was never about the kid or wanting the best for the kid because Olivia Jade is clearly very good at vlogging and didn't need anything else behind her. This is about status as a parent. Mm. And I think that's another thing that is going to maybe frustrate me a little bit if Olivia Jade is being made the scapegoat for her own parents' mistakes. I mean, I know a a YouTuber with 1.9 followers doesn't need my sympathy and I'm not going to actively give it to her but this is the act of her parents and I think there is an idea there that you should not be at fault for your parents mistakes
1: mm, I don't know Olivia Jade's over 18 and she did submit the form under her own name saying she was on different teams and did different things which she knows she's pretty didn't naive do. when your parents is telling you to do something oh, at sorry, 17 she's over she was 18 when you
0: are that age and your parents are telling oh, you to do this, find find me kids that are not gonna do what their parents say. Truly. Find okay. me a child who aren't isn't gonna expect that their
1: parents know best. I would expect someone with solid moral fibre to potentially put. Maybe, maybe it's not all her fault. I'm not saying it's all her fault. Ultimately, her parents are at fault. However, I don't think we can automatically say, she's a victim here, poor Olivia Jade, because I, I don't agree with victims. that. I I mm.
0: absolutely think they are. I think when you are that age and you are 17 or 18, think of the stupid things you did at 17 or 18 and the things that you thought your parents were absolute
1: gods about. Sorry, mum and dad, but you don't know everything now, but I thought that you did at 17 or 18. <sighs> Sorry, I'm not going to lose any sleep over rich kids who bribed well, their way and who bought their way into university when they didn't deserve it. Because ultimately, I know it sounds silly and glittery, but who's missing out on these spots? If they're going to be buying their way into university, cheating on exams, sending other people in their place to sit their SAT tests. Who is missing out on a position who legitimately deserves it? This is such a fantastic illustration of how class and wealth works. And sometimes our discussions and discussions in general of privilege can feel immaterial. But here in this case study, the machinations of privilege are so clear and they are so ugly. And I just I don't feel sympathy for Olivia Jade here. I honestly don't.
0: I never said that I did. In fact, you literally <laughs> just put words in my mouth. I think I said about three minutes ago, I don't feel sorry for are her. Are you fighting? I do think there is something to be said then about how liable you are your parents' mistakes when you are that age. Mm. What I do think, though, is I I agree with you in that. Who are the people missing out right now? But this is not exclusive to this story. Who are the people always missing out because of this stuff and not explicit oh, yeah, course. That's what I mean, But there though. are so many people that are, whose eyes are only opening now to these kinds of stories when this has been going on for decades and hundreds of years because privilege has existed. For me, it becomes so obvious that money in this case and in every case can buy all opportunity. I know that we have had this conversation before. I mean, I wonder if we sound like the biggest broken record ever, but it kind of is a classic case of how the capitalism does allow the capitalism, how capitalism does allow the rich to get richer. I know at home, there's always ongoing conversations about our school system and and public versus private I was educated at a private school. I was on a scholarship, though. I'm more than sure I was on a scholarship because they wanted my sister so badly. Oh, they they shut up! You're clever. Too. Don't give us but this bullshit. How, but it does make you think, regardless of where you went to school or how you were brought up, how much does that have an impact on your future? I know we've had this conversation lots. Probably a bit. I remember a girlfriend asking me this maybe a year or so ago, and we went to separate schools. And she she wasn't even trying to she wasn't trying to be a dick at all. It was a really genuine question. And it was, how do you think you would have gone at school if you didn't go to the school that you went to? And it is a very pressing and important question because I probably wouldn't have done as well. Mm. I think you have to look at how I have to say in Australia, in Melbourne particularly, the big four corporate firms are housed almost exclusively by privately educated children. I say children because they're like 10. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) I think it's all very much a case of who you know and I'm not sure how we fix... Any of that, I I don't. I mean, I know we're not coming onto this podcast as hosts trying to fix an entire
1: sort of class divide. Really, that's what I'm trying to do. But I I don't know how to fix that. (laughs) I just think even in Australia, the the private school education system and how much I feel like that is an advantage to kids who go to private schools is massive. There is no doubt about it. I don't think that, I think anyone that denies that is an idiot because it
0: doesn't just exist while you're at school. It's actually what happens beyond that. It, it exists far beyond your years at school where you are part of sporting clubs, where you can network and make connections. Like it is never
1: ending. Well, you know, the funny thing to me is I didn't go to a private school. I went to a Catholic all girls school and some a question that really baffles me every time I get it is now, what school do you go to? Because I see it between private school kids who, ask each other all the time and say, oh, well, yep, yeah, so we played each other in Nepal, and we did this, this and this, and I know your dad and this guy works for my company. It's like for some reason the networking between private schools in Melbourne does mean that the kids who went to private schools thrive. So what interest? I mean, taking this back to the college admission
0: scandal, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting to me that people can get so riled up about uh, – I guess what you're right, the optics of fraud, when in reality, a lot has been going on that's not that different to what these
1: parents have been doing. And we've sort of been very happy to let it slide. Yeah. But then what can disadvantaged parents do? What can they really do when they know that this is how money operates and how it works? They can't really kick up a fuss about people buying their way in because that's how capitalist society works. But they can when it comes to blatant cheating and blatant rule breaking. No,
0: that's a great point, And maybe it is a much easier thing to
1: sort of put your hand up and say that is where our line is. It's a learned helpless thing. Like, what are you supposed to do? If you don't have the money, you don't have the money. But when someone's actually snapping the rules and disrespecting everyone beneath them, then you've finally got a voice that you can use.
0: I wonder if they'll go to jail. I mean, this is going to be super intriguing as to how this plays out.
1: Yeah. I just hope that more people who consider doing this, even home in Australia, who knows it could be happening here and we have no idea about it. I know it's a different system, but never say never. I would just hope that they would have some type of consideration as to the people who might miss out on spots because they're buying spots for their kids. Hey, I think that's all we've had time for today. I know, I think it is. You guys can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. (laughs) Straight to the plug. There's no even point. I don't even know. I say it every single week. If you want to come find us, you'll find us, I'm sure. If not, no big deal. Love you anyway.
0: Whoa, I'm going to plug this a little better than Michelle did. Find us on Facebook at Shameless Podcast Community on Instagram at Shameless Podcast. We will be back in your ears next Monday for our regular
1: programming. I don't think there's much else to say. No, just that we love you and we can't wait to see you again and we miss you already and have a good week and yeah. Thanks Queen. Oh my gosh. Oh, hi, it's Annabelle Lee and Louie Hansen here. We are your hosts of Everybody Has a Secret. Woo! Woo. We are here essentially just to let you know that we drop episodes every week. Now, every damn Friday morning, we are in your ears. That is so exciting. What a time to be in your ear holes. So essentially, each episode, we unpack the real-life secrets of our listeners. So this is for everyone who loves, you know, just a little bit of gossip in -hmm. their lives, which, let's be real, Annabelle, is all of us. It's absolutely all of us. Don't lie. You all love gossip. So if you want to listen to our show, please do head to your favourite podcast app and listen now. See you there. Bye.